Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast from Process Unity. In today's session, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity programs and specifically around the key components of setting up a world-class cybersecurity program and more about the skills necessary for successful leadership within that program. And finally, some of the key metrics you'll need to measure your program's progress. Before we dig in, some quick introductions. My name is Andrew Agaroff, and I'm the Senior Cybersecurity Specialist here at Process Unity. And I act as a, an advisory role within the company, mainly focused on our cybersecurity performance management service offering. Um, I've been involved in a lot of cybersecurity programs over the years and, uh, and has acted as a VC. So, but what I wanted to talk to today was uh, James, James Christiansen. Uh, he has some really deep insight into a lot of aspects of building out a successful cybersecurity programs. James, quick, quick introduction. Give us a quick overview of your career and credentials. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. What a pleasure it is to be here today. Um, love this subject. It's going to be a fun subject today. Uh, hopefully share some good things. I've set up you know, numerous security programs uh, for Visa. I was the first CISO there, so I, I created this Visa security program worldwide. General Motors, same thing worldwide. Experian. In, in all these cases, what I found was made me successful was just a few things, some tips we're going to share today and really what makes the, what it makes a great CISO from a good CISO. And some of the things you can keep in mind as a security leader, your title CISO, CSO, or director. It's, it's really how do I get those skills that I need to make that next step? So that's our focus for today. Thanks, James. So James, up until fairly recently, it's been pretty well accepted. And I think I've sat in a couple of your podcasts and sort of uh, conversations over the last several months that, Generally, it's been accepted that CISOs or the C-suite in general doesn't really have a good level of understanding of cybersecurity. And I noticed that the, the SEC has recently proposed new rules that require disclosure of board members' expertise in cybersecurity. So it sounds like they're finally becoming, it's, it's becoming obvious that cybersecurity skills have finally been taken seriously as, as, as well as business strategy and, and leadership skills. So if we look at this requirement and how it applies to CISOs, and assuming they're the ones who will be most likely having the main responsibility for building and maintaining a cybersecurity program. So my first question is, what, did, what do you think are the main set of skills that they need to be, that a CISO will need to have in order to be successful in setting up a program? Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, that's a great question. Because really two components in what you, you talked about there, Andrew. It's, it's how do I set up a great program? And secondly, how do I communicate with the board more effectively. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about both today, but let's sort of start with you know how do I set up a great security program, a world class one. Well, you know the first thing is the skills. You know what skills do I have to have? Well, you know I've got to know security. You know I've got to at least have a background. I know identity management, vulnerability risk management, all those things are. So I have to be you know traditional security, but I also need to be business savvy like an MBA, I, I need to understand how a business operates. All too often we get very technical CISOs in the role, understand the technology, but they don't really understand how business works and can't manage it. So becoming, instead of becoming a great CISO, they're good CISOs. So you need to think like a lawyer. I need to understand regulations. I need to be able to read them and understand what it means to operationalize them. I also have to think about my adversaries, like the the attacker and and how they might attack us, and start doing that threat threat uh, modeling. So you know, as I, I think about, it, I also need to be able to run a project. I need to have 
project management fundamentals. And I need to have risk management principles and be able to apply those. And of course, I need to be able to possess leadership skills, how to work with people, how to work with other groups, because the CISO role not only has to manage downward with their, their organization and have good organization skills, but they also need to manage lateral and upward and be able to meet with executives and be comfortable in those roles. So, so that's a lot of skills wrapped into one person, hence why the CISO role is, is so difficult. So as you think about how do I become successful, so the skills is one part. The other part I think about is just really how do I, how do I get the culture going where? So I need to be able to work with the exec team and have them consider security as a business imperative, that it really is based on program metrics and dashboards and integrating larger with my executive risk management program and be able to effectively allocate budget to it. So when you think about that, it, it's really important. I think that's what's driving a lot of the SEC rules is how do we effectively communicate the strategy we've got, effectively communicate the metrics that we're managing our risks by so they can do their fiduciary duty. And we'll come back to that later. The other key thing I don't wanna miss here in describing what you need to be the successful security leader is, okay, great, you can write the best best business case in the world to get your project justified. But you also have to understand as a C-level executive, take the C very, very personally. You need to be able to balance that risk and cost. You are sharing budget with someone else. Every dollar you take from the organization to deploy security is a dollar not going towards producing the good and services you, you sell. So think about your responsibility. It's a shared responsibility with your executive staff and what you're going to do there. With that, I'll turn it back to you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, James. A bit of a side question. How I know I've asked several CISOs just recently, but are you seeing any sort of real pressure from, from the board level based on those SEC? And I think they are proposed rules at this point, but have you seen any sort of pressure for boards generally to start including CISOs or cybersecurity skills within their board? You know, just a, so I'm just a bit curious about that. That's a great question. I've had a couple of conversations just recently on that because it looks like that'll be signed into law in the first quarter. So I think, you know, am I seeing pressure yet? No. Am I seeing interest? Yes. A lot of interest in someone that can actually fill a board seat, have the skills we talked about, and be able to bring that expertise to the board in a way that fits with the business. A CISO that's going to be the techie of the board isn't going to be successful. A CISO that can actually think about the business and interpret what the CISO is saying for them about how it impacts the business, how it's fitting with their risk tolerance, I think it's going to be key there. So I, I think stand by on that one, Andrew. Yeah, and I've heard that the the CISO, whoever the incumbent or the responsible party will be is, is, as part of the board, will have that responsibility for educating the board on an ongoing basis. So that's, I guess that's just a just a um, something I need to be aware of as well. James, so assuming that the CISO has these skills, what about the some of the details about the cybersecurity program itself? What program characteristics should the CISO have in mind when building out the cybersecurity program? Well, you know, there, there's really three things I, I think about. Um, you know, first, of course, you, you fall back to your risk management role. It is your job within the company, you can't forget it, they're depending on you, to actually understand the risks the company's facing and what it's gonna to take to proactively mitigate those risks. That's first and foremost. So focus on that, that's traditional CISO work, 
nothing to be surprised about. The other two elements, of course, is aligning with the business and making sure you can balance the agility, risk, and cost of sports. So you've got agility. So what does that mean? It means businesses are changing faster than ever today. With cloud and, of course, business digitalization, you're seeing organizations shift directions very rapidly, where in the past it would take years. Now they can do a shift in months, come out with a new product, decide to do an M&A, grow in a different way. So here's your, your task is to be agile. It means you've got to design your security strategy to absolutely focus on being agile, which means I got to be able to adjust. I need to have platforms and solutions that I can quickly ramp up things or ramp down things I need. So think about the agility. I guess the first third part, I think, is just managing the cost. comes right back to how do I make sure as I put my strategy together and I'm managing the security program, an on-go tactical operational base, I'm getting the best total cost of ownership I can get. I have to balance the people aspects, the licensing, the software, and the support. How do I ensure, and then again, going back to our conversations, bring those things together so I can articulate very clearly to my management team, to the executive team, and to the board, this business value. What value of a security program is bringing to the company? So, so I think that's, that's a really important concept. Think about it as you need to, to sell them the value you're bringing and be able to articulate in the terms of agility, risk, and cost. So that's some great insight there, James. I mean, assuming that the CISO has, as you mentioned, a, a good understanding of the business and its overall risk tolerance level, and, and assuming that the business itself is agile enough to adapt to new risks and regulations and business requirements, I'm thinking just from a from an immediate first step perspective, what are some of the immediate actions that CISOs and organizations in general can take to improve their cybersecurity program? Yeah, and that's a, a great, great question, Andrew, because you, you think about it, when you walk in, like I've done many times in my career, come into an organization that either didn't have any security program or had one that that was dysfunctional, and that hence the reason they were bringing uh, me in to, to, to look at it. Well, the first thing is that assumption of dysfunctional, and maybe not dysfunctional. Maybe what's there is working well. So my first role is to assess the current maturity. Don't go with any assumptions like, oh, it doesn't work. Actually get out and understand, what's the current maturity? Do I have the people to support? So what I do is I break up security into about 50 or so, including physical security services. Why did I call it a service? Because it is a function that's providing a service to the company, like, like encryption, like vulnerability management, for mm -hmm. example, are these services. So I'll take, I'll do this current maturity assessment. Well, I'll look at every one of them and I'll say, okay, here's the key attributes a vulnerability management solution should have. Do we have those key attributes or do we have some of them? Do we have the people that can manage those those applications or those functions, and we have the processes that enable it. So if you're missing anyone like, okay, great, I got people trained on it, we got the best product in the world, but we didn't put the processes in that manage it, well, then I don't have a service. So, so looking at that maturity is, and we'll probably talk about maturity a couple times, because that's your measurement of where you're at. So once you get a baseline, then you can actually start to show improvement. Say, okay, here's where we're at today. In one year, here's where we'll be in three years. Here we're where we're going to be. Align your security initiatives to your business priorities. That means you need to understand what the business priorities are. What is it the CEO has said 
this year they're going to do to grow the business? How does your program fit into that growth? What do you need to do to support that? What new risks are they introducing? How do I articulate that back to do this? We need to do that. It's all great. So, so again, keeping that communication in mind. Then aligning your skill sets, focusing the organizational structure in an information risk-based approach. Obviously, don't do compliance. Don't, don't look at how you comply with things. If you do things and you manage around risk, you will be compliant. It's one's a function, the other, the other way it doesn't work. So look at creating an information risk-based approach. Yeah, that's always popped up a lot. People think that if they're compliant with a certain standard regulation that they're secure, but that's often not the case at all. So some great points. And you've talked about how it's really important, and I totally agree that you need to assess your current maturity levels to get that baseline. Um, and then you can at least sort of get some targets in place and sort of measure progress in that way. And you've mentioned how important it is to align these security initiatives to business priorities. Um, and it really, it's pretty obvious that if you're trying to do all this effectively, you're pretty much highly dependent on having access to some pretty accurate and timely information or, or metrics. So can you elaborate, James, on what sort of metrics the CISO, and more importantly, I guess his extended team will need to measure the uh, cybersecurity program's progress over the course of the next six, 12 months or 18 months, for example? Yeah, absolutely. And before I jump in that, I just wanted to make one more point on that prior question. Yeah, go ahead. Think about making a, a strategy. I try to keep strategy simple. You know, strategy can be really, really complex. And in the end, your best strategy is a simple one. The tactics are complex and implementing all the solutions, but keep a simple strategy. And what I think about is like five things. Minimize your attack service. Just make it difficult for the attacker and the way they can come after you. Complicate unauthorized access. Make it difficult for them to get into your systems. Rapidly detect, respond, and contain attacks. That just limits the app opportunity the attacker has to steal your assets. Align your security program, your business priorities. Already talked that. Working closely with the business, keep them aligned, and make sure they understand how you're contributing to them. Then operational excellence. You know, strive for that continuous improvement with your people, process, and technology. You should rechallenge yourself every year. Every year, look at how could I have done things better? How am I going to do what I did next year better, quicker, and faster, and cheaper? And then what am I going to add on? So, so when you think about it, it's a pretty dang simple strategy. When you think minimize tax surface, complicate unauthorized access, rapidly detect and respond to attacks, align to the business, and create operational expect, uh, excellence. Yeah, and I was so, going to say, and I guess, and that's and that's why I think I like the the zero trust methodology. And I think we've we've both talked about this in the past. The fact that it's designed to be incremental, and it's not a prescriptive bunch of controls that you have to apply across your organization, depending on what you're doing. It's very much a you can pick and choose which bits of zero trust you can put in there. But it's really around decomplicating the whole issue and being able to provide that that, um, as you said, that sort of incremental approach to ever increasing your, or ever ever decreasing, I should say, your security posture, but ever increasing your your security sort of um, posture going forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the newer frameworks like uh, SASE, the Secure Access Service Edge and Zero Trust, we, mm -hmm. we could do a whole podcast on just those two subjects and, and perhaps we should. That's It's a very relevant, <laughs> I get a lot of questions on just what are they and how do I do them? What's a what's a strategic roadmap I can do? Because I, I work at the leadership level, so I'm not telling you how to implement CASB. I'm going to tell you why you should do it, 
when you should do it in your sequence because it's it's implemented in a lot of capabilities and moving them from your data center out to your your cloud edge. So let's let's come back to that one at a different time because that's that's a fun subject, Andrew. That, that oh no, be- I, I agree. <laughs> let's regress. We, we kind of um, you asked me a great question. It really came down to metrics. Yes. Well, I said earlier, it's really important to be able to communicate to your executive team and your board where, where you know, the contribution, of course, but also where are you? Because if you think about what the board's responsibility, I mean, just absolute core is that they have a fiduciary responsibility to manage the risk to the organization that they're serving on a board, the financial risk, reputation risk, legal risk, et cetera. This is just one more risk they've got to be able to manage and ensure that we're doing the right things. Well, to do that, they need good information. They need timely information that's, that's meaningful. And I think as a, an industry, that's where we've really fallen down. Uh, you know, we're just coming out of IT. We're not really great at metrics. We're really good at measuring things. Like I could tell you, you know, I had 5,000 phishing attacks last month. Well, that's interesting. Not so much. That's kind of an FYI metric. So. So what, when you start thinking about metrics, think about you know the reaction and the risk relevance of that metric. And we're going to talk about you know what a bad metric is, what a better metric would be, and what a best one could be. And and it is complex. You're not always going to have all the data you wanted. I know as I got ready for my board meetings and presenting, I always wish I had better data for them. We just didn't have some of the data I'd really like to give them. But what I really focused on is how can I make, I understand the risk we're facing. How do I make that clear to them so they can do their fiduciary responsibility and manage that risk? Understand the risk tolerance that the company has, and of course, what the risk is presenting, and then what we're planning to do about it was our plan. That's the three things we're gonna work about. I used to always say, you know, if you're going into a board, you know, there's only two things the board wants to know. Do you have it? That's literally one thing, I guess. So every word you say is to convince them you're the right person for the job and you understand what needs to be done and you're getting it done. That's all they want to know. Everything else is a lot of words. And and all the things you're going to do is to show them, yes, you are the right person. You understand the risk. You've got a plan that's going to manage it. And they understand the current state. So so think about that as you think about metrics and measurement. You know, where we talk about measuring the maturity. You need a product like a process unity to bring those those maturity measurements together and be able to show you that map you need to, to roll out with a cybersecurity program. And of course, the, the third party risk contributes to that side. So I think about metrics and, and a bad metric would be an FYI, the number of attacks we had last quarter. You know, that, again, that's kind of interesting. We had 20, we had 50, we had 100, but that doesn't matter. A better metric would be how long did it take us to react to that? What's our event mean time for reaction? And that's more meaningful. It says, okay, we had an attack, but we reacted to it quickly or, or not as quick. So, so it helps me understand the risk associated with those attacks. A best metric is going to be tying that reaction and risk relevance. So, so think about in that same, same tune. So mean time for response against attack against our critical infrastructure and PII. What I just do there, I brought it and I made it meaningful. So bad metric, total number of malware attacks, better metric, mean time for response over the last 12 months. And then best metric is mean time for response against the critical infrastructure and PII 
attack. So, so again, I made it relevant back to the business business risk. Does that make sense, Andrew? Yeah, well, actually, a bit of a side question then. So another curious thing that I want to ask you about is what's your view on the FAIR methodology and the and the the uh, the way in which people are trying to get that risk, but also try and tie it to a accurate financial uh, figure, if you like, or a, a financial penalty or whatever you want to call it in terms of trying to tie that tie that measure down. Because I've, I've seen that there is that there seems to be a very large gap between it, you know it's fair enough you can get a risk you can associate a risk but i think the board ultimately wants to find out what is it going to cost what is this the risk going to cost if it happens and how much is it going to cost to to fix it up for example so i'm just curious what's your impression on how close we are to having a um you know whether it's a particular methodology or or whatever but how close do you think we are to having something that that's accurate and usable within the, that board c-suite environment yeah uh, so so Let's dissect that one a little bit. So yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> the, the fair methodology, you know, there, there's a number of, you know, again, back to standards. The nice thing about standards, we got so many to choose from. That's a little joke. Uh, it's tough on a podcast, tell a joke, but that's it. So when you think about fair or COVID or NIST, you know, they're all about managing risk and they're all good. Now, personally, I like the fair. I've worked with it much longer and I like the methodology because it helps me explain, you know, using that methodology to a non- risk manager, an executive or a board member, how we actually look at risk, you know, what threat agent is, et cetera, and all the motivation, all that, all that stuff. Here, here's the thing, when it comes to being able to put a number around it, you know, we've looked at mean time to failure, we've looked at uh, the recovery costs. It's all an art when it comes to actually putting numbers around a failure. What mm -hmm. I see people do wrong often, they'll say, okay, if, if it occurs, you know, operational outage and reputation risk and loss, expected lost customers will add up to, let's say, $20 million or $200 million is probably a, a more realistic figure. And, and you know, for a, for a mid-size, upper mid-size company. So that's a big loss. Well, then the other side is, okay, the probability of that occurring, when I look at the maturity of the program, the attackers, the motivation, the other side, you know, it's a very, very small probability. So let's say it's a, you know, 0.01% probability, some some really small number, maybe it's even 0.001%. So so you you do your best to calculate both, and and again that's more of an art than than a science. Um, and, and you come back now. What I'll see people do is they'll say, okay, the amount of risk then is uh, the probability times the dollar loss expected loss amount. Mm -hmm. Actually, mathematically incorrect. You can't take a very, very, there's a theorem called theorem of small numbers, can take a very small number again and multiply it by a very large number and have anything meaningful. And in reality, while it's a very small probability, if we have it, it's not going to be a you know, $20,000, $200,000 loss. It's going to be a $200 million loss. So it's better to talk about that in terms of the probability is low, the cost is high, and helping them understand what that means. And again, what you're doing as a program to make that probability go down over time yeah and i've come across that same thought process as well you know the fact that it's it's by by its nature as you said it's not an accurate figure and it's almost impossible to get an accurate figure on it so like you said i think i think people think that they can get an accurate figure as to what the risk and associated issues are going to be if they don't do certain things and i think um that's, that's probably the main issue with, with fair that people are expecting too much for what it actually can provide right exactly
So some great informa information there, James. Um, so we've covered some great information about, you've mentioned the sorts of skills that CISOs need um, to build out that cybersecurity program. Uh, you've talked about some of the characteristics a program should have in order to be successful. And you've talked about the information that the CISO will need to form, sorry, that will need in order to, um, in terms of metrics to continue maintaining the program. Any closing thoughts on what listeners can take away to become better security leaders? Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. It's right now it's budget season for many of us, you know, October, November, mm. we're kind yep. of a little far down. One of the things I've seen in building a business case is they'll they'll throw it, you know, we need to comply with that or comply with that, which, by the way, executives hate because it feels like it's not providing value to them or just being forced to do something. When in fact, what you're doing probably has value. So, so focus on how you're going to drive customer retention because the customers aren't going to tolerate a security breach. Talk about how you're going to drive forward the ability to, to you know, execute better for, for that. Of course, compliance is important and it should be part of the business case, but it shouldn't be the essence. So when you think about the business case and you're going to communicate those program objectives, you know, the objectives in business terms, go back to that, you know, that business value I talked about earlier. So the thing is, don't start communicating your budget needs now or in October or September. You should actually be thinking about next year's budget because this one should be already in the bag. You should already have them pre presented, submitted. The exec team should already know what they're about. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the next cycle, you start actually socializing those business cases. As soon as this budget's approved, what's your roadmap going to be like for next year? Have you met with the presidents, the CEO, CFO, CIO, uh, head of legal and talked about next year in your roadmap, what does that look like? And what you do, because that's your jobs as CISO. Other people are going to be executing on your current tactical plan. You've got to be thinking more, more strategic. So actually communicating those program objectives and security initiatives throughout the organization. Make sure you understand the business and the culture. I've seen a lot of great CISOs. They could understand security, know what the right uh, countermeasures to put in place are they could develop a great team, but they never stopped to understand what the business does and what the culture is. So they tried to put in a security program that didn't fit the culture of the organization they're working in. So they end up butting heads. And guess what? They last about 18 months because it takes that long by the time the exec team figures out you're not a good fit, you get to go find a new opportunity. So take a minute to talk to the executive, especially up front, about what their expectations, where their concerns are. Listen to what they say. Listen to the words they use, because that'll give you key on later when you talk to them. Use those same words. Think about their vernacular and how they do it. You'll be much more successful. So, you know, the other thing I wanted to touch base on, Andrew, is just we talked a little bit about communicating with the board earlier. And when you think about those communications, keep your communication short and concise. You know, if you got 15 minutes, that's three slides. You know, you got a half an hour, that's maybe five slides a meeting. Mm -hmm. So take out all the minutiae, keep it short and concise. Remember their goal is to fulfill their fiduciary duty, to understand the risk. Don't put them at risk by, by putting things that are gonna you know, possibly compromise their role. Focus on here are things we protect. You know, what is it that you're protecting? Don't say everything, say here are our crown jewels. You don't actually use that term with them, but here are the things that are important to this organization and here's how we're protecting them. Keeping it very focused. And I love benchmarks. Now, benchmarks are hard, but I've hired the big accounting firms to do a benchmark to come in and tell me, here's where my program maturity is. 
By the way, I recommend that in the first 90 days when you start a new role, get a benchmark done because that's going to give you your starting point. Have that benchmark also include where are other people like your company, your competitors, your industry sector? What's their maturity look like? And where are your customers maturing? Why are those three important? Because the, the CEO wants to say, how are we doing compared to my other competitors? My, my better or my worse? Because I don't want to be spending too much if we don't have to. So very, very valid reason. And the board wants to know where are we at compared to customers? Because guess what? The customer expectation is you are secure as them. So if you serve the financial industry, you should have that as your goal for your maturity. So think about that maturity, getting that benchmark done, bringing that back, then have that three-year rolling roadmap. Why do I call it rolling? Because you've got to be agile. It's not. It's going to change every year. It could change in months. New threats come up, organization things like a war may start. You could even have M&As you didn't plan on, new businesses that you're, you're maturing into. So think about that in that three-year and keep them informed, that active communication on where you're at in your program, how you're protecting the things they care about, and the contributions you're making to the organization. That'd be my three three takeaways for Andrew. Yeah, and it, it is, and you're right. It is, it is very much telling a story to the to the board. And, and like I said right at the very beginning, it's that they're not necessarily cybersecurity savvy, and they don't really have to be. That's your job as the the CISO to tell the story and to bring up, you know, for example, risks or hacking attempts or breaches that have happened for other companies in a similar sort of industry, just to just to enlighten them about what can go wrong in their particular. Like I said, it's it's very handy if it's a, if it's an industry or a company that's very similar to theirs, and it just highlights the sort of issues that they may come across and need to be aware of. So that's um, yeah, awesome advice, James. Some great insight. So that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank James Christiansen again for his time and valuable insight into all the various aspects of setting up a world-class cybersecurity program. If you want to find out more information on how Process Unity can help your organisation establish and maintain its own cybersecurity program. Don't hesitate to reach out to us at processunity.com. And that's the podcast for today.